I call the Secretary of State for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. With your permission, I'd like to move the second reading of this bill. Yes, we've talked about the Agriculture Bill for a few weeks now here on the programme. On Wednesday, just gone, MPs finally had their say on Michael Gove's big idea. The week in agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. It was a lengthy debate in Parliament on Wednesday, six hours in total. Indeed, those MPs that did speak were told to keep it short, many others simply didn't get the chance. Of those who did have their say, though, many raised the issues that you've been hearing here on the programme over recent weeks. Mainly, has the bill forgotten about food production? And what of food security? Sleaford and North Highcombe's MP, Caroline Johnson, is herself the wife of a farmer. She broadly welcomed the bill, but did question the issue of food production. As a paediatrician, Madam Deputy Speaker, I'm concerned about the health of our nation and of our diet. 22% of five-year-olds and over a third of 11-year-olds in this country are overweight or obese. Food production is a part of the definition of agriculture, and whilst I welcome that productivity is defined as a public good, I'd be grateful if the Minister could elaborate on how this agriculture bill is going to ensure the availability of high-quality food for my constituents. To do so, food production must be profitable. And so, therefore, my question is, how does the Minister intend to ensure that when farmers have a choice between using a given parcel of land for an environmental scheme, there is enough incentive for them to do so, but also ensure that there is not such an incentive to do so that there's no longer an incentive to farm, reducing the ability of homegrown produce. Well, that was uh, Caroline Johnson. Boston and Skegness MP Mark Warman had three issues he wanted to raise during the debate on Wednesday. That of food protection, a big issue for his farming constituents, also that of automation and robotics in agriculture and migrant workers as well. In my constituency, working with the nearby uh, University of Lincoln, we are home to some of the most advanced experiments in automation of farming in the world. Silicon Valley has come to Lincolnshire to ask how it should be done. What greater public good is there than fast-forwarding that progress? Innovation will allow more of my constituents to move into higher-skilled work and it should be encouraged through this bill. There is a public good in flood defence. There is a public good in fostering innovation. Uh, Third and finally, Mr Speaker, uh, is the workforce. The Migration Advisory Committee has advised that we should have a seasonal workers scheme, and I applaud that. It is seasonal workers that have made a profound difference to Boston and Skegness uh, in both good and less good ways. The public good is also in making sure that workers who come to this country temporarily are properly housed and properly integrated into local communities. Wakefield's Mary Cray was among those to debate the bill. She expressed concern at what happens when cap reform occurs. So we know that the cap has shaped and underpinned British farming uh, for the last 40 years and each of us are only usually one or two generations from people who grew up and uh, managed the land. But these basic payments from the cap make up uh, between a, half, a third and a half of the average farmer's income and they make up 60% of profits um, of, mo- of average farms but 90% of grazing livestock farms. So it is a very, very important part of the farm business. Now, the cap at the moment 
has a seven-year budget cycle which provides farmers with the long-term certainty they need about what they'll receive and it allows them to plan and invest. And we've heard from ministers that they will um, match current levels of EU funding until 2022, but farmers are asking what next? And this bill provides very few answers. It fails to say how much, how will uh, funding security be guaranteed, who administers this money, and its vague list of purposes risks policy inconsistency. Well, the NFU has now put forward key amendments it would like to see. For a start, it wants an actual agricultural, agricultural bill. In other words, it wants an explicit and clear overarching agricultural focus to it. It also says there's an oversight over the importance of food production in future policy. Although bringing Wednesday's debate to a close, Farming Minister George Eustace disputed both suggestions. But the first thing I'd say is let's start from the top. The bill is called the Agriculture Bill. <laughs> but the first sentence uh, of the long title is to authorise new expenditure for certain agricultural and other purposes. It goes on to say to make provision about the acquisition and use of information connected with food supply chains. It goes on to confer a power to respond to exceptional market conditions affecting agricultural markets and to make provision for the recognition of associations of agricultural producers. So I don't agree that there's uh, nothing about food or agriculture in this bill. What is true is that part one is predominantly about delivering environmental goods, but parts two, three, four, five and six are predominantly about other issues that will assist farmers in their key task of producing food for the nation. George Eustace there. The bill passed its second reading. Uh, It's now through to the committee stage where further debate and amendments can take place. We'll, of course, as you might expect, keep a watch as it progresses its way further through Parliament. Right, next Saturday, it's the annual autumn sale for the Lincoln Red Cattle Society, so uh, it's as good a time as any to catch up with Society President Martin Clough. Oh, we've had an absolutely tremendous year, really. Um, the successes we've had, um, well over a dozen shows where we've had champion or reserve champions of one description or another at all the shows, really, this summer. Yeah, so 12, 15 there's even been shows that have had non-society shows at them where we've been competing in any other breed classes down in Cornwall, up in Scotland, where we've had similar successes, really, coming from the any other breed classes. Yeah, brilliant for the breed. Tell us a bit about the breed for those who don't know about the Lincoln Red. Uh, they're a dark ruby red breed. They're very quiet animals to work with. Uh, they're thrifty type of animal bred on this Lincolnshire coast here where the, the weather changes from winter to summer great difference in climate that we have um, they're quite happy to live on next to nothing on a dry summer like we've had this year the cows look tremendously well and then in the winter they'll put a thick coat on and stand the cold the harsh cold that we get coming in off the coast there yeah. So, so this year, really, while many have been uh, saying it's not been the greatest of years weather-wise, for, for the Lincoln Red breed, it certainly has been a it's been an okay year because they they can handle both. They can handle this type of summer. You know, my grandfather used to say they'd put weight on and underneath the sunshine, sort of thing. So yeah, yeah, great cattle. That's that's good news. Tell us a bit about the uh, the sale then itself. Um, we've just over forty cattle coming, um, six bulls, thirty six females. I think fifteen or so of those are in calf the rest being maidens. I think there's a couple of cows with calves at foot as well in there to, to add to it. So, yeah, hopefully we're going to have a very good sale.
And where are they coming from? Across across the country or across this part of the world? Uh, mostly from this part of the world. Mm-hmm. With some coming down from Aberdeenshire, um, quite an entry from there. But yeah, mostly from the eastern side of the country here. Yeah, yeah. Are prices holding up at the moment? Breeding prices, I think, are holding up fairly well. Yes, definitely they are. Yeah, we've we've seen some good prices in the last couple of sales we've had last autumn, this spring. Hopefully, that will continue in this autumn sale. That's good news. What about life here on the farm itself? It's been a challenging year, hasn't it? A challenging year of very slow spring, and then once the rain stopped, it never started again. And and now we're still waiting for rain. Really, at the end of the season. Um, challenging. They say you live on the driest part of the uh, the UK here. That's what they describe this part of the world as. Um, I guess you're used to it being particularly dry, but this year, more than ever, it's been a problem, hasn't it? More than ever, yeah. We, I don't know what rainfall we've had, but yeah, a bit of an inch or two at the end of August, beginning of September there, but that was really the only rain we've seen from, what, the end of April. Yeah, it's been a very strange year. One cut of silage that was good, one cut that was mediocre, hardly a third. Um, yeah, very strange one. Um, you, you wonder what the animals have been living on, but they've been quite happy, really quite happy and contented in, in the weather that we've had and the level of grass that we've had. Maybe not quite put quite so much weight on as you'd expect to see, but they've been contented and they look very well. Have you been eating into the winter feed not yourself obviously but or have, <laughs> have you been okay because you know the lincoln reds can cope with not having much we've been okay um we've been buffering the cattle um since august time with some oat straw uh, it's one of the best types of straw to feed them so we've been been fortunate that we've had some oat straw to feed them we've not actually had to go into our true winter stocks of silage and hay um so we've been lucky in that respect. But generally on the farm, it is a case of trying to play catch-up where you can because you don't want to get too far behind, do you? No, we don't want to get behind, no, no. We've started doing a bit of weaning of calves and bringing those in, getting ahead on that side because we're also an arable farm and we've been putting off our drilling because of the black grass issue and waiting for some of that to try and emerge before I do our drilling. So we've been swapping jobs around a little bit. Fingers crossed. Who knows, winter might arrive and we might uh, finally get the weather that we, we need to get over the next 12 months. That would be a good idea. Yeah, it? very good idea. My, my workman today said that he'd been speaking to someone at the weekend and said we were going to have four months of winter, proper winter. <laughs> so who knows what we're going to get this next few months. Yeah, Indeed, who knows. Thank you. Uh, Martin Clough, president of the Lincoln Reds, speaking at his farm in Holton Holgate. And that autumn sale takes place at Newark Market next Saturday. Now, it's a small world. Uh, our agronomist, Sean Sparling, has a connection to uh, Martin, haven't you, Sean? Yes, morning, Sean. I, yeah, my mum went to school with Martin Clough's dad, actually, at uh, Holton Holgate Primary School. My grandfather used to farm around Spilsby. Um, it's a lovely part of the world up there. But he's quite right. It, you listen to the arguments going on at the moment, some want it wet, some want it dry. It just sums up farming, really, doesn't it? There was an old phrase that went, uh, we want it dry for the harvest, then wet for the chip and then dry for the sprayer, then wet for a bit. So, you know, we can't win as far as the weather goes, but we take what we get. Martin's quite right. We do need a drop more rain. We had a rain last weekend. It was very variable, though. I took 7 mil. There were people took 10 mil. Some people only took 4 mil. 
But what we did start to see at the beginning of this week was what we call the Serengeti effect. So when you see those documentaries of a parched desert and then you get a rainstorm through it and within 48 hours it's covered in green and flowering plants. And that's kind of what we were hoping for. It's happened in some places where they got the rain. But remember that black grass is like any other plant. It needs a combination of factors in order to germinate. It needs some moisture. It needs some warmth. It needs soil and seed contact. It needs some freedom. It doesn't want to over its head. So if you've done your stale seed beds correctly and they've, they've a bit of movement in them, a bit of moisture in them, they haven't got a cap on them, you've flashed the UV light in there with the cultivator, then you should be a better uh, in a better position than most. So all you can do is bide your time and wait. I know it's easy for me to say, I know I'm not staring down the barrels of the winter, but just bear in mind we are still only in the middle of October and this is the black grass period. We were told at the beginning of the season by the eminent boffins who know far more about these things than we do that the dormancy in the black grass population was actually very low. So when the conditions arise, when they get moisture, they will start to grow. So do just bide your time a little bit longer yet. Take the opportunity for the wind to dry the land out and let that black grass come. Um, so out there in the field then wheat is already coming through the ground where it's been drilled upon the heath uh, in the absence of black grass. It's coming up rather well, it's coming up quickly, but what we're finding in the field is aphid. I can find bird cherry oat aphid, grain aphid, rose grain aphid, black bean aphid, I can find Mises persicae, I can find all sorts of aphids out there in the field. Now the rose grain aphid, the grain aphid, the bird cherry oat, they're the ones which carry the BYDV virus, barley yellow dwarf virus, in their saliva. If you're finding those at threshold, you need to deal with them. If you're not got your seed dressed with deter clothianidin which will solve that problem for you to stop you having to apply insecticides if you haven't got that dressed with deter then you need to count your day degrees from almost the moment it emerges um, so you take your average day temperature add them up until you get to 170 get an insecticide on and start that count again uh, because that is that sort of period we need to allow recolonization etc if you've got deter on the seed then from the moment it emerges in if it emerges in September you've got about six to eight weeks protection if it emerges in October you've got between eight and ten weeks protection it will help you against slugs but to be fair the dry conditions mean we haven't really got too many problems with slugs anyway um, oilseed rape just starting to pick up the odd fleck of foamer out there in the field and remember just take a few of these leaves and pop them in your airing cupboard and just have a look and see if you've got any latent light leaf spot in there. You'll see within 48 hours whether there are any lesions in there. Haven't seen any in the field. And the foamer levels are very low compared to previous years. Once again, though, that's a testament to the warm, dry conditions that we find ourselves in. So there will be an awful lot more drilling done in this next seven days, I think it's fair to say. We know that's going to happen. Um, so let's just pick the, the worst fields, keep them till last and uh, play a game of poker, hedge your bets. That's probably the best way to do it. Thanks, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. We'll hear from Fred South at Open Field, making his debut on the programme in a moment. First, someone who's a regular voice already with the new Beat campaign underway. We welcome back Nick Morris from British Sugar. Hello, Nick. Morning, Sean. Busy time then, the campaign back underway, as I say. We are indeed now into it. Well, let's start with uh, the weather as usual. It's been desperately dry and was really pleased last Saturday that we got uh, we did get a drop of rain and we got something like 18 mil to the north of our area 
uh, around Doncaster up into up into Yorkshire, and that was really helpful. In fact, uh, uh, harvesting contractor was talking about near perfect lifting conditions when I spoke to him on Wednesday morning. So that was really encouraging. Although sadly, it's not all the way through our our, our growing region because uh, further south we've perhaps only had more like five mil in the Grantham area, and it is desperately dry, desperately tough. Harvesters really having to work hard to get that crop out the ground and of course it's all been followed by quite strong winds uh, and the wind just really uh, exacerbates that problem of uh, of drying the drying the ground out so lifting conditions extremely challenging as a result our supplies into the factory have been limited uh, it is uh, limiting our throughput in the factory um, so uh, anything that our suppliers hauliers harvesting contractors can do to uh, keep the wheels turning keep us supplied will be uh, incredibly grateful and clearly yeah yeah if you talk to your um representative uh, for british sugar that would be much appreciated in terms of coordinating that so in terms of the factory throughput we've uh, averaged so far about seven and a half thousand tons a day over the first 12 days of production as i say that's mainly because we've been limited uh, in beet supply but the results of the campaign so far are really encouraging given the season we've had so uh, sugar content at the moment is around 18.1 percent so really fantastic sugar content and purity uh, and quality in in the crop because the dirt tear is also very very low around three and a half percent so adjusted loads are uh, you know not unusual to see them at 35 tons per load which is fantastic for the growers uh, in terms of their efficiency and reported yields anecdotally uh, are actually quite encouraging as well so they're ranging from about 65 to 75 uh, in fact some more more than that so uh, the information we get back from the growers is they're really encouraged by uh, by those yields. So, fingers crossed, we'll uh, get a bit more rain in the near future and we'll get supplies back up to meet uh, factory production. I was just going to then move on to, uh, last time I was on the show, I was talking about the uh, contract announcement we just made for the 2019 uh, crop and, and beyond. And um, just following social media and Twitter and bits and pieces, it's definitely um, not as black and white as perhaps some contracts have been in the past. And it is without doubt led to a small degree of confusion. So I just wanted to see if I could uh, clear that up a little bit on here. And it's mainly been because of the uh, future removal of fixed crown tear, um, which has led to, to this slight bit of confusion over the 2019 one-year contract. So I, I just wanted to confirm that growers will receive £20, 42p per adjusted tonne on their deliveries on the 2019 contract, next campaign, and they will uh, those deliveries will be receiving a fixed crown tear deduction of 6.61%. And that has been the case uh, this campaign that we're in and also for the previous seven or eight uh, crops before it. So in terms of benchmarking from one year to the next, the price you're looking for to compare uh, to previous contracts is £20.42p. That's what will be on your beat invoice. So hopefully that helps, but uh, people have no doubt got my number, so come back to me if not. Yeah, hopefully that uh, clears it up. Thank you, Nick. Now, um, can I say the word neonicotinoids to you? Of course. Uh, your face says it all. Um, I understand the British beet industry submitted um, an emergency application for neonics for next year's crop, but it hasn't gone to plan, I don't think, has it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, it, is a, it is a great shame. We were hugely disappointed that uh, on Thursday this week, uh, the UK uh, government took the decision to reject the British beet sugar industry's emergency application for the use of neonicotinoids on the, tw- on the next crop, the 1920 crop, which, as I say, was hugely disappointing. 
So we're going to be reviewing that decision with the British Beat Research Organisation over the coming days and weeks. Uh, so hopefully next time I'll be on the show, I'll be able to provide a bit of an update in that next report and uh, provide suitable advice to uh, to growers as well. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that update and um, maybe some better weather as well, not so dry and windy, hopefully. Indeed. Thanks for that. Nick Morris at British Sugar. On to the latest grain market news then, and a warm welcome to Fred South. As I said earlier, making his debut on the programme. Hello, Fred. Morning, Sean. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Tell us a, a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a farm business manager from Openfield, uh, based out of our head office in Honeypot Lane. I'm 28 years old, and I cover the Midlands region of the country. Fantastic. Right, well, let's uh, hear your first report then. Right, let's get started with wheat. The general trend for the wheat market this week has been negative. November futures on the Liffey wheat market started at around 178. May 19 started at around 183. At the close of the week, November futures had dropped down to 176, along with May dropping down to 180. In the run-up to Thursday evening's USDA report, the market did not have much to say apart from the general consensus that the USDA report would be bearish for corn and bean values via high yields and end stocks. The trade will now be digesting Thursday's numbers and markets on Monday morning will be reflective of that data. The EU has made a sizeable adjustment up to wheat exports this week. Still being 24% behind on the year, it now narrows the gap from 34%. Questions, though, on accuracy of the data are widely talked about. The French Ministry has increased their non-EU exports from 8.5 million tonnes to 8.75 million tonnes, This suggests they expect to maintain their market share when, or if, Russian supplies tighten. For the time being, in the EU, prices continue to trade at a premium to world values on strong domestic demands. With UK farmers now well sold and the drilling conditions far from an ideal situation, they are in no rush to sell any more. With recent development in the UK milling industry, lowering milling premiums, farmers again will be reluctant to sell. However, the values that are achievable today are still strong, and when compared to this time last year, they look extremely attractive. Now on to oilseed rape. Again, this week in the oilseed rape market, the trade was preparing for Thursday's USDA report. Throughout the week, there has been pressure on oilseed rape values from various sources. Firstly, soybean values have been falling on a potential increase in yields and concerns about the US-China trade war, which has already depressed demand for US shipments. Wheat and corn also closed lower throughout the week due to position squaring pre-USDA report and this in turn affected the oilseed rate value in the UK. Crude oil has also fallen 2% following the weakness in the equity markets. All of these factors have had a bearish effect on oilseed rate values this week. However, there is a glimmer of support for this market in the form of some rains in the Midwest and America that is delaying harvest out there. Within the UK, The current growing crop has had mixed results so far. Some areas of oilseed rape planted have had massive setbacks by flea beetle and the lack of rainfall too. In some areas, oilseed rape has been ripped up and will be replaced by spring crops. There are, however, areas of oilseed rape that look incredibly well that received the moisture when it was needed and are progressing through the growth stages nicely. The feed bean price has remained well supported over the week, driven by East Coast port demand. As many have mentioned, at these price levels, beans are starting to be reduced in rations and other protein substitutes are being sourced. Concerns are being raised as to how long UK beans can continue to compete on the export markets 
as French traders bypass human consumption shipments and focus on feed exports. Now on to malting barley. Markets remain very lacklustre, with consumers remaining firmly on the sidelines. Both domestic and UK export markets remain quiet, with values unchanged over the week. The main event has been the pound, and its steady grind higher against the single currency. In short, continuing positive news flows concerning the proximity to striking a deal with the EU helps to add support. Malting premiums have seen little movement this week, with only feed-based price movements impacting premiums. Nominal values for premiums are at the moment around £25 to £30. Now on to prices. Feed wheat, depending on location and region, for November 18 ranges between £168 a tonne X farm and £175. Feed barley for November 18 ranges from £158 a tonne X farm to £165. Oilseed rape for November 18 X farm ranges from £315 a tonne to £320. Beans in the same range bracket of November 18, £207x plus pound a month onwards for November. I hope that gives a good roundup to this week's marketing activity. As always, please ring your Openfield Farm Business Manager or anyone at the team at Openfield for the latest prices and the information. Thank you, Fred. Fred South at Openfield. We've talked a lot about the weather this week. What is the coming week in store for us? The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, we're still feeling the after-effects of Storm Callan. Some particularly heavy rain to come today. The wind blowing from the northwest, 10 to 15 miles an hour, highs of 12 Celsius. Cloudy overnight tonight, but it will calm down. The wind from the northwest, about 5 miles an hour, should be drier, 7 the overnight low. A sunny start to the new week, 14 the high. The wind from the west-northwest at about 5 miles an hour. And then staying calm overnight, Monday into Tuesday. Some cloud, but it will be clear skies in places. 7 or 8 the low. The wind more from the south, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Warming up a bit through Tuesday with patchy clouds, 16 your high. The wind from the south at 15 to 20 miles an hour. Maybe some rain to come Tuesday night, but it shouldn't last for long. Then dry, lows of 9. The wind from the west-southwest, again, between 10 and 15 miles an hour. Sunny for Wednesday, highs of 14. That wind still from the west between 10 and 15 miles an hour. And then staying calm, actually, towards the latter end of the week. The wind continuing more from the southwest by the looks of things. We're looking at lows maybe down to 5 Celsius come the end of the week, with daytime highs of around 12 degrees. That's the forecast. Uh, We return to the Agriculture Bill's second reading for our last word this week, and this exchange between Grantham and Stanford MP Nick Bowles and the DEFRA Secretary Michael Gove. I'm seduced by the vision of the future of British agriculture painted by the uh, Secretary of State, but I am puzzled as to why it is that he wants to take so long before he can get started on it. Why is it that we have to remain trapped in the limbo of the transition uh, whereby we will still be trapped in the common agricultural policy when by joining EFTA and EEA on our way out of the EU we could start on his magnificent reforms next March? I am delighted to have been able to seduce my right honourable friend. What is striking in this seduction is that rather than asking for a slow hand, he wants a rough wooing. Um, (laughs) Sorry if you're just about to eat. There are some images you cannot unsee. (laughs) Have a good week.